you would, to Matthew chapter 7. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 7. Our theme this year, if you haven't figured it out yet, is a firm foundation. <clears throat> we have been, uh, on Sunday mornings, looking uh, at the parables of Jesus Christ as our foundation. I mean, honestly, you can't get any more fundamental or foundational in teachings of the Bible, uh, or at least in the New Testament, as the parables of Jesus Christ. So that's what we've been doing. Um, <clears throat> and our theme verse for the year, back here on the back wall, is Isaiah uh, chapter 28, verse 16. It says, Therefore, uh, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation, that he believeth, uh, excuse me, he that believeth uh, shall not make haste. <clears throat> he is, he is, Jesus Christ is our sure foundation. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 19, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. And let every one that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Now let me ask you a question. Let's get a little practical here. How important, how, well let, let me ask you this before we, we go on. How many of you live in a house, apartment, some sort of dwelling. Okay? Nobody here living in, living in a tent that I know of. Okay? Those of you that live in a dwelling of some sort, how many of you think there is a foundation that that building is sitting on? Okay? All right? How, how do you know? Have you seen it? Okay? All right? Yeah. Bob built his house. He knows he put the foundation in. But for the majority of us, we're living in houses or apartments or whatever buildings that we were not there when those foundations were put in, right? So why? how do we know the foundation is there? The, fall, the house hasn't fallen down yet, okay? <clears throat> you know, uh, that, that's, that's the test. Is, is the house is still standing? <clears throat> through the storms, through all the things, the elements of the world, the house is still standing. Before I was a pastor, I was a building contractor for, for many years, and I, I built a lot of houses for people. And <clears throat> all the years that I built houses for people, I never one time, not one time, did any of my customers come out during the foundation stage and, and pat me on the back and say, whoa, Rick, that is the most beautiful foundation I have ever seen. Never happened. Not, not in all the houses that I built. But... I can't tell you how many times I got nitpicked to death over stuff that didn't matter. Just cosmetic things. 
before I before I went to Bible college, I I, I closed down my my construction company and I took a job for about a year or so as a construction superintendent for a big development company. And I was in the office one day and the phone rings. The secretary answers the phone and she says, "Oh, Rick, you need to talk to this lady." So I I, I took the phone and I said, "Yes, ma'am. How can I help you?" And she said, the sheetrock is literally falling off the wall. Okay, are you sure? Yes, it is, it is falling off the wall. And I said, okay, I'll be right over. So I left there, and, and everybody in the office, I had just started working there, so I had nothing to do with this house prior to that day. But everybody in the office started laughing because here I'm thinking the sheetrock is literally falling off the wall. And I jump in my, as I'm, as I'm exiting the office, everybody's laughing at me. But anyway, so I just, whatever, I didn't really pay any attention to it. And I get in my truck, I drive over to this house, and this lady answers the door. And, and I said, well, can you show me the problem? And she said, yes, come in. So in this house, there was this wall that was a two-story wall. It was a big great room with a two-story ceiling vaulted. It was just a big, big, big room. <clears throat> and <clears throat> I said, I said, where's, where's the problem? She says, right there. And, I, and this wall is perfectly intact. And it looks fine. And I said, I, honestly, ma'am, I, I don't see a problem. She says, here, come here. And, and I am not exaggerating. She got on her hands and knees, and she crawled across the floor, and she said, there, right there. And I just turned around and walked out. <laughs> I mean, you know, come on. Um, so that's one of my fun stories of being a contractor, but... Why do, why do people get so nit, nit, nitpicky over the superficial things? It's because they can see them. For the most part, once a foundation is put in and a structure is built, you don't see that foundation again. You know it's there because the building is still standing, but you can't you can't admire it. You can't criticize it. You can't. There's there's nothing unless unless the foundation fails. You you have no nothing to really look at. But it's the cosmetic things that drive people crazy. And as I thought about this, I thought you know oftentimes in our Christian lives is. That, we, we live our lives like most people live in their houses, concerned about how it looks. We, we spend our, our, our energy uh, <clears throat> worried about what people think about our lives and what people see about our lives instead of working on the foundation of our faith. Because... It's what people see. It's what we see. 
It's what other people see. And we as believers can become so consumed with what other people think about us that we fail to work on the foundational truths of the teachings of Scripture. As I said earlier, we have been going through the parables of of Christ uh, on Sunday mornings. On Sunday nights, we have been going through the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount... Uh, has been an, I, I've enjoyed the study. It's, I've learned a lot. Uh, I, I hope you have too. Um, but the parable this morning is really the basis for our theme this, this morning, uh, this year, this year's theme. The parable is also part of the Sermon on the Mount. So, This morning's message is really a combination of the Sunday morning series and the Sunday night series. Matthew chapter 7 is the end of the Sermon on the Mount. So let's let's read. Well, let, let me give you the title of the message first. It is The Wise and the Foolish Builders is the name of the the parable uh, that we're going to be looking at this morning. We see it in Matthew chapter 7. <clears throat> Let's start in reading in verse 24. It says, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them will be likened unto a wise man which, buildeth, uh, which uh, built his house upon the rock. And the rains descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon the house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. Verse 27, And every one that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which buildeth his house upon the sand. And the rains descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon the house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And it came to pass, when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this time together this morning. We ask that you would give me wisdom, that you would uh, help me to put myself aside. and, And Lord, use me as a vessel this morning to communicate truth. We truly love you, and we truly thank you for this day. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. We just read the parable of the wise and the foolish builder. As Jesus presented it in the Sermon on the Mount. In Luke chapter 6, we see another sermon that Jesus preaches that is similar to the Sermon on the Mount. It is, it, some people confuse it, but it's, it's not the Sermon on the Mount. It is called the Sermon on the Plain. Okay, So it's two completely different sermons. Jesus preaches both of these sermons early in his ministry, and they, are, they both have similarities. 
<clears throat> Although the Sermon on the Plain is, is much shorter than the Sermon on the Mount, Sermon on the Mount actually uh, is Matthew's chapter 5, 6, and 7, where the Sermon on the Plain is, is contained in, in, one ver- in one chapter. Um, so it's significantly different. But Jesus gives us a variation of the parable that we just read. It, it's, a, it's the same parable, kind of, but he changes some things up. Luke chapter 6 and verse 47. Uh, Jesus says this, Whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings and doeth them, I will show you to whom he is like. He is like a man that buildeth an house and dig deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the floods arose, the streams beat vehemently upon the house and could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. But he that heareth and doeth not is like a man that without a foundation built a house upon the earth against which the the stream did beat vehemently and immediately it fell and the ruin of the house was great basically the same illustration the same parable but in the second one in the the sermon on the plain jesus um adds a couple of details that we do not see in the Sermon on the Mount. So I want to take a few minutes, I want to talk about these differences so you could kind of understand what is taking place. In, in, in verse 48, can you put up verse 48, Chris, please? Uh, in, in verse 48, uh, Jesus here uh, makes a distinction, and he says, uh, and he is like unto the man which built the house and digged, deep he that, that those those three words and dig deep is not in Matthew chapter 7 so what is the word picture here that Jesus is giving us in Luke chapter 6 it is the fact that in order to reach the rock you have to dig through the dirt in order to reach the rock does that make sense? I mean, that's pretty pretty simplistic. But what is the implication of digging deep? It's hard work. It, it, it doesn't just happen. You have to choose to dig deep. When I was a Builder, there were times that when we would develop neighborhoods, that we would have to compact the earth before we could build upon the the dirt. Why do you think we have to do that? Okay, the ground will shift. Because if you do not compact the earth, um, it, it is very likely that, and very, very possible, that you get voids when you start moving dirt around, it's really easy to get a void. So if you do not compact the earth, you could literally dig the foundation, 
pour the, pour the foundation, build a house, and everything be perfectly fine until what? Until the rain comes. And the rain penetrates and gets in those voids, and guess what happens? Your foundation is going to move. It takes work to do a foundation properly. And, then, and, and in Luke chapter 6, Jesus uses this word description to, to describe to us that it is an investment in our lives that we dig deep into the Word of God so that we have a strong, firm foundation so that when the storms of life come, what will happen in our lives? We'll stand strong. Ultimately, there is a price to pay. The second word that I, I want to kind of pick up on in this, in this verse is the word vehemently. It says, in the stream, beat vehemently upon the house. Now, I don't know about you. I, have an, I had an idea. Uh, I knew what the word meant, but I... I, I looked it up, and I didn't quite totally understand what this word meant. This word vehemently literally means a wild burst out of nowhere. A wild burst out of nowhere. Several years ago, uh, I, I, I got a phone call from someone who... <clears throat> um, have y'all ever heard of a microburst? Okay, a microburst is—I I, don't—I'm not a meteorologist or anything, but my understanding is when <clears throat> the winds and all are just right, and there's a there's a massive amount of downdraft, and it just—it's it, almost like a bomb, and it just boom. And uh, I got a call from a a, a man that. Um, his house had been damaged by multiple trees that landed on his house because of a microburst. And it just literally tore the house apart. And that, that's kind of what this word vehemently is. It is the idea of th this word picture. Of, and I, I, again, as I, as I thought about this word, I thought of the difference between a hurricane and a tornado. Hurricanes, we, we know when hurricanes are coming. And if you're smart, you leave. Okay? I've lived through a hurricane. I would not recommend it, okay? <clears throat> yeah, you, yeah. Anyway, um, but, what, but what is the difference? That a hurricane and a tornado, they both do damage, right? But what is the scary part about a tornado? They just pop up. And they, they, they can, they, they, you know, science today can, can sometimes predict a, a tornado, but maybe only minutes before. They, they literally come out of nowhere. And this is, this is the word vehemently. And as I, as I, as I thought about this, I ask myself the question, is it not 
the times in our lives when life hits us vehemently that we hurt so bad? When we are caught off guard? When life happens and it just it happens like that. There's no warning. And it comes out of nowhere. And it often comes, comes from sources that we don't even expect. That's this word vehemently. But if you're going to withstand the storms of life, the digging and the foundation has to already be put in the ground. The holes, the, the, the trenches have to already be dug. The rebar has, has to be uh, already laid in place. The concrete has to already be in place. Because if you wait until the storms come, this word vehemently helps us understand it's too late. I told you a minute ago that we, we lived through Hurricane Hugo. And one of the things that I found was, was <clears throat> phenomenal is that the houses that were near the ocean, many of the houses were literally just picked up off their foundation and carried for sometimes blocks. Some of them were absolutely, totally destroyed, but some of them were just literally picked up off their foundation. Why? Because their foundation was not sure. In verse 49, there's a couple of words that are different in verse 49. <clears throat> the first one I want to look at is the word ruin here at the end. And immediately it fell, and the ruin of it, of the house was great. The, the word ruin here is also an interesting word. It does not mean destruction. It means to be deconstructed. Does that make sense? I mean, we think of the word destruction, and, it, and, it, and, and at least in my mind, I see this pile of toothpicks left of a house. But the word here that, that God used, the word ruin here, literally means to be deconstructed. And as I thought about it, and I prayed about it, and I studied, and, and I... This is what I came up with. Literally, this is what the picture that Jesus is, is giving us here is that without the right foundation in our lives, without the right foundation, without our foundation being on the rock, everything that we spend our lives doing when the storms of life come, all of it will be deconstructed and it will be for naught. What does your foundation look like? I know people that have spent their lives building a fortune and what happens when they die? 
Can't take it with you. My pastor of 20 years used to say all the time, I've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul. You can't take it with you. The, 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 the last word I want to look at is the word great. The word great here literally means out of the ordinary in degree and magnitude. Beyond our wildest imagination, destruction can come vehemently. And it is a, it, the, the destruction is great. Beyond, beyond what we can imagine. So, point number one. You're probably thinking, boy, he's probably done. No, I'm not even close to being done. We'll be here for until about 4 o'clock. No, I'm teasing. Um, no, seriously, we're, we're almost done. But I, I want to give you a couple points here to help, to help wind this all down. <clears throat> Number one, why did Jesus give us the parable? Look at, look at verse 24. What is the first word in verse 24? Therefore. So, Jesus is winding up the Sermon on the Mount with one more parable. In verse 29, the, the Sermon on the Mount, well, actually in verse 27, the Sermon on the Mount is over. But in our, past, in our, in our Bible here, we have two more verses that kind of describe the hearts and the attitudes of the people. But Jesus knows that he's, he's winding up the, the Sermon on the Mount and he says, therefore, in other words, everything that I've been teaching you for the last three chapters, well, anyway, you know what I mean. Everything that I've been teaching you on the ser- on the, in this sermon, I'm going to conclude all of this into one more thought. What does your foundation look like? Is your foundation... In Jesus Christ, or is it in yourself? That's, that's the point. Why did he give us the Sermon on the Mount? Now think about it. What is the Sermon on the Mount, on the Mount all about? About growing our faith, right? He starts with the Beatitudes, and then he goes into uh, our lives needing to be salt and light. And then he talks about our faith and different things. And, and, and all of it culminates. Well, let, let's go back a couple verses. In verse 21, it says, um, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of his Father which is in heaven. And many, or many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, I have not prophesied in thy name and in thy name have cast out devils and in thy name done many wondrous works and when I excuse me and and then will I profess unto them I never knew you depart from me ye that work iniquity now I'm going to say something here that can be controversial. But it's scriptural. Because Jesus just said it. Preaching the gospel. 
doing miracles, even, even leading people to Jesus Christ, is not evidence of salvation. Let me ask you a question. Do you think Judas Iscariot was involved in all of the things Jesus just talked about? Absolutely he was. But yet Judas Iscariot died without Christ. Matthew chapter 26, verses 24 and 25. The Son of Man goeth as it is written of him. But woe unto the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It had been good for that man if he had not been born. Then Judas, which betrayed him, answered said, Master, is it I? And he said unto him, Thou hast said. Can you imagine what Jesus just said to him? That's a scary thought. But yet he had spent three plus years with Jesus, doing miracles, seeing people saved, even preaching the gospel. But yet he died without Christ. I personally know pastors who have ministered for years who, who get saved. Men who have preached the gospel, who have led people to Christ, have done amazing things for the cause of Christ, yet they did not know Christ. You say, how is that possible? The, 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 the reason that is possible is God never promised to bless a man. God promised to bless his word. Can an unsaved person lead someone else to Jesus Christ? Absolutely they can. Why? Because it's the word of God that changes lives, not the words of men. Isaiah chapter 55, verses 10 and 11. For as the rain cometh down and the snow uh, from heaven and re, uh, returneth not thither, but, wa the, but watereth the earth, and maketh it bring forth and bud. And it may give seed to the sower, and bread to the eater. So shall my word that goeth forth out of my mouth, it shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please. And it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I send it. God's word will not return void. John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32, And Jesus said uh, to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then ye are my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. It's the word of God that sets us free. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for reproof, 
for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Why did Jesus give us this parable? He gave us this parable because our faith, our faith in Jesus Christ is the foundation in which we have to stand. It is this book, getting to know this book, digging deep into this book, that when the storms of life come, it's this truth that we can stand on. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. According to the grace of God, which giveth unto me as a wise builder, I have laid the foundation, and another, build, and, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. What does your foundation look like? So we answered the question, why did Jesus give us the parable? The second point this morning is this, and again, I'll be quick here. What is the difference between the two houses? I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but in both of the parables that Jesus gave us, the description, they seem to be the same. The same, the same size, quality, um, the, the same look. They, they're, they're, there's no descriptive difference other than the foundation. The foundation is the only thing that is different between these two houses. The successful builder uh, did the hard work, did not cut corners, dug deep, and, and placed the foundation upon the rock. The unwise builder did it the easy way. Just built the house on the sand. Just built the house. Instead of doing it God's way, the unwise builder did it his own way. What does your foundation look like? I believe, and, and this, this is a deep conviction of mine, I believe that Jesus uh, is trying to illustrate a very important lesson here. And this, and this is the lesson I believe he's trying to communicate. Ultimately, your faith is going to be tested. Everyone in this room, if you're saved, your faith will be tested. Years ago, I, I built a, well, actually, I built a couple of them, but I, I built the first one. Uh, I built a dormitory at the college that I attended. And we had to, as we were, as we were uh, pouring the foundation to the, to the building, we had to, um, I forget now exactly how many things we had to take, but we, we had these tubes that were about this long, about this big around, and we had to fill them with the, the exact same concrete that we were putting in the, in, the, in, the, in the ground. And then we had to send these tubes off to a laboratory to have them tested. 
after the concrete set up, what do you think they did? They, they pressure tested them. They stuck them in this big machine that had this big hydraulic press and, and the, the, the tube of concrete had to withstand a certain PSI before it failed. If it failed before it hit that PSI, guess what we would have to do with the foundation? Tear it all out. And I believe, again, with all of my heart, Jesus is telling us, ultimately, your faith is going to be tested. And because of the parable in Luke chapter 6, we know that that testing will come vehemently, suddenly, powerfully, catch you completely off guard. As I, as I was thinking about this, this word vehemently, the, the, uh, how, how many of you are familiar with the story of Jesus and his disciples were in the boat crossing the, 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 uh, dead, the dead sea? And then what, what happened with the storm? It suddenly appeared. It caught them off guard. Now, I did look it up. It's not the exact same word as, as the word vehemently, but it, it means pretty much the same thing. It caught them off guard. They were, they were just cruising along, and all of a sudden, boom, the storm comes out of nowhere. And is that not how, how Satan attacks us? Just out of the blue. Powerfully, boom. Let me illustrate it to you this way. Job lost everything. He lost his family. He lost his wealth, everything within a matter of a, just a few minutes. He lost it all. Probably, probably within a, a span of 10 to 15 minutes. That's vehemently. But how did Job respond? That's the key. In Job chapter 1, in verse 20. It says this, Then Job arose and rent his, his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshipped. Was he sad? Was he upset? Yes. Did it hurt? Yes. And said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. We can honestly say that Job's house stood firm when the vehement testing of his faith broadsided him. These two houses are wonderful reminders of our faith in Christ that will never fail if our foundation is on Jesus Christ.
when the storms of life came in the life of James. James, who is James? James is the half-brother of Jesus Christ. Before, before the crucifixion, James had denounced Jesus Christ and, and had, had said some really pretty awful things about him. But after the crucifixion and the resurrection, James got saved. And his heart changed, his life changed. And he became a preacher. And as I thought about this, I thought, James makes a statement in James chapter 1. Basically what he says is that the struggles of life, the trials of life are good and profitable. And on the surface, we can look at James and say, you are not. But when we understand the fact that his foundation was in Jesus Christ, he could make that statement. Let's read it. James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4. It says, My brethren, I count it all joy. Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect, entire, wanting nothing. You want to live a life where you want nothing? I think that would be the ultimate life. And you think, man, if I had enough money, I could live wanting nothing. You know what? I've got some bad news for you. If you've got money, guess what you will want more of? Money. Contentment has nothing to do with our pocketbook. But what James is saying here is that if our foundation is built upon Jesus Christ, when the storms of life come, count them joy. Because that joy will give us patience. And because of patience, we can live our lives wanting nothing and being content with what we have. What an incredible, incredible promise. We can also say like Peter and the disciples, those of you that were here Wednesday, the last two Wednesday nights, uh, Lawrence Thompson uh, preached for us in, in my absence. And um, uh, he brought up a, a good point that I had never thought about. Peter and his disciples that were with him were beaten for preaching the gospel. They were beaten for preaching the gospel. But listen to what what they said in Acts chapter 5 and verse 41. And they departed from the presence of the council after being beaten, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. How can someone live like that? And that was the premise, and I'm not trying to re-preach Lawrence's message, but the premise of that is what? Their foundation was in Jesus Christ. Not in their circumstances. And so often we live our lives trying to 
live in the realm of our circumstances. Why is this bad thing happening to me? Bad things happen to everyone. What does your foundation look like? Let me, I've been saying this, and and I'm, I'm almost done, I promise you. But let me close with this thought. I want you to look at this banner. You can look at that banner. Anyway, look at one of the banners. Right in the middle, when I, when I designed this banner, I was looking for something very specific. And this banner is the, the, the very message I was trying to communicate here. What is in the middle of the banner? The house that's sinking in the sand, right? But the hand of God is always there to pull us out. That is one of the the incredible things about God. God never gives up on us. Have you made a mess of your life? Is your foundation not quite where it should be? God never gives up on us. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, well, it's become one of my favorite passages in the Bible uh, over the last few years because I don't know about you, but I mess up all the time. All the time. And I have come to, to love this passage. Psalm chapter 40, verses 1 and 2. The psalmist says this, I waited patiently for the Lord, and He inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up out of, the hor- out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and He set my feet upon a rock and established my going. It's never too late. It's never too late. The only thing that I have found as a pastor, the only thing that keeps people from digging deep foundations in their walks with Him normally is pride. They're too proud to admit they need help. And I'll tell you what, I am constantly going to the throne of God yelling for help. Because you know what? The truth is this. I can't dig deep by myself. I need help. And this picture here is a wonderful picture that God never gives up on us. God never gives up on us. It's never too late. Romans chapter 10 Verses 12 and 13. For there is no difference between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon Him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What does your foundation look like? Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank You. For this day, thank you for your love. And Lord, we ask as we conclude our service this morning that you would speak to our hearts. And Lord, that you would give each of us an opportunity to do an examination of our foundation. 
Lord, help us to, in some cases, possibly, maybe, I don't know, swallow some pride. Say, you know what? I need some help. Could be someone here this morning has never, never asked Christ into their heart and life. The foundation has never been laid. And you need to start digging. And you need Christ as your Savior today. Let me encourage you. You get saved. With every head bowed and every eye closed.